and then we have the ones that came from the public. I'd like to welcome you back to um, the second half of our debate with the candidates for the Brookston representative. And we're going to follow the same format we did before. We're going to go through the, the questions that they had had previous knowledge of, and we'll have a little break, and then we'll go through the questions that were submitted by the public. And um, if you s anything comes up that you want to add, just get it back to the guys back there, and we'll randomly cycle it in to the ones that we got earlier. So um, we'll start with our first question. Um, before we were able to say ladies to go first with this, but do you want to flip a coin or do you want to decide? Does it matter which one of you goes first? It doesn't matter to me if you could flip the coin. I think that'd be good. I'm broke. <laughs> I'm broke. Me too. So someone flip a coin for us. Everybody's broke. <laughs> yeah, we call, could have done Call it. <laughs> I'll take uh, heads. Heads? That's it is, so you'll go first. So the first question is, in your opinion, what is the most what are the most important challenges facing our reservation and how do you propose to address these challenges? Hello, can everybody hear me? Is this loud enough? I know we've had a few uh you hear me in the back, Bruce, Wally, Wayne. Sounds good. Okay, um in my opinion, what are the most important challenges? Well there are many. But there are some that hold precedent over the rest. Um, the drug problem, but that's another question. We'll uh, discuss that then. Housing is a major issue. Jobs. Uh, I see a lack of uh, a lack uh, a lack of an ability for a lot of our band members to get to their jobs, get to their um, employment. And that is a major uh, detriment, not only to their employments, but to a little louder. Little louder, okay. Not only it's a detriment to their employment, it's a detriment to their dignity. I believe if we uplift our band members, they will become productive members of the reservation. And. Said the housing that we need more housing. Elders housing complex in Brookston is a major issue. Uh, transportation in Brookston is a major issue. There are no, uh, there's no, uh, uh, Brookston is what you call a food desert. There's no, uh, nowhere to get a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk. Uh, you have to drive all the way into town. Uh, so we're they're pretty isolated out there, and uh, that's a major concern that I've been hearing. And those are only a few of the challenges that we have. Thank you. Thank you. Would you like me to repeat the question? No. Okay. No. Let me get the timer re here. Some of the most important challenges facing the reservation that we have today, there's multiple, on multiple fronts, social, economical. We look at uh, the issues that we have with, with addiction uh, and the drug problem on the reservation. Uh, it, it is, uh, it, it's running rampant. 
through the reservation. It is epidemic proportions. We look at the um, the environmental issues that we are also having with Enbridge, the mining up north, um, the infringement of uh, with the with the Great Lakes Compact um, in in Waukesha. And you think, oh well, why would that affect here? Because it's drawing water out of our Great Lakes is what they propose. We look at the, uh, I guess, the non-unity of our um, band members on several different issues. And those are issues that we need to uh, address. But we also have to look outside of Fond du Lac on what are some of the other major issues that, that are facing our reservation. We have a very important presidential race that, that, that's going on now. And if uh, one party is to succeed with their potential nominee, uh, we have to remember uh, what his battle was with Indian gaming to begin with. And that's Donald Trump. When Indian gaming started, he specifically lobbied legislation to stop Indian gaming. And we look at the challenges of if he is to become president, what is that going to do to Indian country? So not only do we have to look here at, at Fond du Lac, we have to look at it throughout Indian country of, of some of the challenges, and we have to pre prepare ourselves for that. Uh, we look at, uh, like I said, the environmental issues that we have going against Enbridge, going up against uh, the mining issues, and how are they going to affect our resources. So. As we look at the multiple challenges, they all affect other programs. They all intertwine with each other of, of, of how one affects the other. And we have to be prepared on all fronts. And I think that's some of the major challenges that we have on Fond du Lac. Uh, and it's addressing those issues and coming up with a game plan of, of how do we move forward? How do we combat these issues? And uh, how do we prepare uh, for an outcome of, of the future president. Thank you. Okay, the next question is, if elected, what will be a measurement of your success in your first year in office? <laughs> I believe you measure success in small creation of one job, the creation of one program, that is a measure of success. Um, I believe um, participation in all meetings and all votes is crucial for an RBC member. Um, having a plan of action for the rest of your time in office is crucial. Um, Also, uh, I want to stress again, it's the uplifting of our band members is what is going to measure our success as a reservation, the contrib contributions of everyone to uplift the band. We need everyone to uplift the band. That's how we will succeed. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. And let me get this restarted.
When we look at measurement of success of somebody's first year in office, we have to look at, uh, again, on multiple fronts, on the, on the financial part, on the social part, um, and also the sense of unity within the community itself. Uh, you know, and, and I touched on it before, uh, is, is the drug problem. Uh, one way it would be successful is if we have no more death due to overdoses. Um, that would be a major success, but we look at the, we have to look at the financial advancements that we have in all of our enterprises, and that they're being successful, that we we are making money, um, and that we're building up our reserves. We look at our sense of unity within our communities. Uh, no more uh, being, uh, I guess, against one another or. We look at uh, issues, and I mean, very well. I mean, you look at the issues on, on, on this election cycle and uh, of hearing the, the friendships, uh, the words people are saying to each other, because they feel strongly for certain issues, and it's their opinions. And we have to be open to, to each other's opinions uh, during this time. But there are times of where it, it does divide people. It does, it does divide neighborhoods. Um, so I look at, how do I measure my success the first year in office? Well, if, if I look at it financially, uh, that all of our businesses are, are making a bigger profit, uh, a bigger return on investment, uh, I think that's a success. If we look at uh, the sense of unity in our uh, communities, uh, where we're all participating on different events, different cultural events, I think that's a success. And like I mentioned before, if we have, it would be very successful if we had no more deaths due to overdoses because then that means we made a big impact on our drug problem, and that is a major issue. Thank you. Thank you. Next question. Drug, pro drug problems are not just an individual's problem. They are an economic issue. What will you do as an elected official to make the social changes and provide individual resources to combat the drug problem? Uh, yes, the drug problem on Fond du Lac is very bad. Start, 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 start. Um, just a second. Oh, this thing will not start. There. Okay. Thank you. Oh, no, it stopped. There. Okay. Okay. Yes, the, the drug problem is bad. And from an economic view, if you're talking about supply and demand, I guess the real question is what is supplying that demand? Is it a group of people? Is it a lack of culture? Is it a disconnect from our culture? A, morals and, and values that aren't being uh, nurtured and fostered. Um, I believe that is the economic issue. Um, what will I do? Uh, I believe, again, this is a uh, reservation-wide solution. And uh, as an elected official, I would advocate and uh, implement social programs, social change, um, 
accountability. Um, there's many things that could be done that aren't being done. We have the resources. There are those out there who want to help the community, and we need to come together and do that. I don't see enough of that. I don't see enough family support. I don't see enough structured programs to keep people, you know, on the street. Um, it's a big problem, and there's no simple, no simple, quick solution for this problem. There's not. We need to come back to traditional values. We need these young people working, keeping busy, motivated, dignity. We need neighborhood wellness groups, tribal court uh, programs and initiatives. We need healthy activities. We need a permanent place for ceremonies and and. Uh, like sweat lodges where people can come and heal. Um, and everything just comes back to culture, getting back to your culture. There's a disconnect from our culture, and that's where we need to find out where that's coming from. If we can find where that's coming from, we can get back to where we need to be. I guess when we look at the drug problem on the reservation, we all must understand the drug problem. <clears throat> I can say that the, that the tribes, that the counties, that's a, that the states, that the cities were not prepared for this. Yes, we had heroin. Yes, we've had methamphetamine uh, that have been around for years. Uh, but when we start adding all of that together with the pres prescription drug, problems that we're having, now we're getting into something that we are not prepared for. We look at the I-35 corridor where all the drugs are coming from. They're getting here. Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Detroit, that's where they're all coming from. They're not being manufactured here, they're being brought here. When we look at that, we have to look at what, what have we done so far? My first term in office uh, as your person representative, I had worked with one of the other council members and we had looked at the, uh, the drug problem itself that, that we had seen then. I had seen it early on coming on and, and, and starting to find the police department of the introduction of methamphetamine. And we had started the, the wellness committee and to focus in on the drug problems that we have. And I, and I take it very seriously. I was uh, uh, the original representative for the uh, NCAI and White House's uh, task force on methamphetamine. Uh, I had worked in, in law enforcement. Uh, so I, I am very passionate about it, of what it's, do, it's doing to our families. It's destroying them. When we look at our, our programs that we have uh, for treatment programs, I think we're, we're, we're on the right track, but we have work to do. Some of the things that we can also do or where the uh, more or less where the rubber meets the road is looking at equipping our officers with nasal Narcan because those seconds matter. If we can save one life, it's working. 
and usually they're the first ones on scene as the first responders. We have to get aggressive in our introduction of the drugs into the community. Like I said, they're not being manufactured here. They're being brought here. We've increased our numbers in our police department, and it's time that we, we get a return for that. And that means by them getting aggressive in, in with drug interdiction and introducing uh, and in fighting those uh, drugs being introduced into our communities. Um, that is my plan uh, in, in fighting the, uh, the drug problem. Thank you, gentlemen. Next is, what ethical standards should an RBC member be held to? Um, I believe RBC members should be held to the highest ethical standards. Um, honesty, integrity, um, the seven teachings. Uh, there, there is a code of ethics set for, set forth already. Um, I believe uh, if everyone followed uh, 164, follow their job description, we would have a uh, a more uh, smooth running RBC and reservation. Um, I like we need culture in our ethics. We're all about culture, is what we are. Seven teachings. We gotta get back to our culture. We need to stress that. There's a disconnect and people are getting lost. Um, yeah. Follow the code of ethics and we will succeed. Thank you. When we look at ethical standards that, that our RBC members should be held to, uh, I think we also should look at moral standards. When we, we look at the ethical standards, and, and you know, I can say I've, that I've been uh, hopefully practicing for them for the, at least the last 20 years that I've been in law enforcement. Uh, I ain't going to come up here and say that you know, in my youth that I was an angel, because it, it, I wasn't. Uh, but I learned from, from my mistakes. But when we look at the code of ethics, and that has been established on Fond du Lac, uh, I think one thing that was forgot is accountability. How do we be? How do we make them accountable? And I know when they first uh, started the code of ethics, they were flushed with uh, people uh, saying there was violations, and it's like, well, how do we handle those? And I think that needs to be thought through of how do we do, how do we handle the violations of, of the code of ethics that they've already established? Um, and what do we do once, once they, somebody violates it? And who's to be judged uh, for violating it? Who's, who's going to decide that? Uh, like I said, 
when we talk about the ethical standards, we, we also need to look at the moral standards um, that we have. Uh, in, in that they lead by example. I'm not saying that uh, they shouldn't be non-drinkers. They can certainly do that, but when they're all carousing in, in, in the bars or whatever um, and, and, and causing problems, uh, that's not leading by example. And I'm not saying that any, any one of the current ones uh, have done that. I'm just throwing that out as an example. But we, we have violations of, of the ethical standards. Uh, I, I think what was put together was put together on very, very short timeline. And not all of it was thought through um, as, far, uh, as far as how do we implement it, how do we uh, look at uh, uh, policing it. Uh, but I think we can get there, and I think we can uh, get there by having the band members' input um, and listening to uh, their opinions. Thank you, gentlemen. <coughs> the next question is, what have you done outside of your employment to improve the quality of lives on the reservation? Outside of my employment, I, in 2015, I was elected as Cloquet School District's chairman of the Johnson O'Malley Indian Education Program. And with this program, we supply uh, educational assistance to the 500-plus Native kids that are in the Cloquet schools, the most Native kids any school around. I donate my time to this, and uh, I'll, I'll just tell you an issue we're having right now with the uh, Cloquet School District. There is a potential $500,000 language grant that Fond du Lac has the chance to get if we can get all the schools on board in the area. Now, the one school with the most Indian children in the area does not want to on this grant and that is a big detriment to our native children we could put language in kindergarten through 12th all the, throughout the day in the cloquet school district and they do not want to support this and I am fighting to get that passed and as chairman of the JOM committee we will foster that grant. We, if, if Cloquet School doesn't want to, the JOM committee will take that responsibility. And that is how I am helping uh, lives on our reservation. Culture enrichment. Um, I'm a cultural consultant. Donate lots of time to JOM. I'm the chairman. I'm a I also sit on the LIEC committee for Cloquet Schools. Um, we do lots of seasonal activities, traditional Ojibwe uh, activities. And I just believe adding rich culture to our children's lives in the public schools down there that Cloquet is fighting against 
I believe if we can accomplish this, um, we can have lots of enrichment in our child's lives. But again, they don't want to support us. Thank you. I like that uh, what I've done outside of my employment. Well, I mean, I have to look at my employment as a, at a one time a uh, tribal council member and, and Brookston representative, and also as a law enforcement officer. Uh, I have sat on both the Indian Education Committees in both Cloquet School District and St. Louis County School District. Uh, I've also sat on uh, Fond du Lac's Conservation Committees. Uh, I look at outside. I've also uh, been a strong advocate and, and exercised our treaty rights. Uh, and just recently, me and the wife have uh, started getting into uh, foster care, uh, which is very, very rewarding uh, to have uh, little little ones around our house again. Uh, but looking at what I do outside of my employment, I think it's important to be a, a, a positive role model to our youth uh, in our everyday lives. And I believe I've done that. Um, and I've worked hard for that. Uh, I've got 20 years of sobriety. Uh, me and the wife uh, and, and family, uh, we try to participate as, as in as many powwows as we can. Uh, Usually, as a, as a family, uh, we try to go to uh, as many events as we can um, at the community centers uh, in in the, around the reservation, uh, and to be positive role models to uh, the youth. Um, anytime uh, we get a call from other families uh, to assist them, and, and there's been numerous calls of helping out with food and we, we understand they have kids and stuff and none of this is is where we're asking for us to be recognized or, or, or to get an, an award for or anything like that we do that because because they're human beings and and we care so much for our other band members or our other community members and the other children in, in the community uh, we're not being asked to be put up on a pedestal and saying, look at what we've done. Um, because usually we don't, we don't say anything about that. Um, so it, that's what I, I guess that's what I've done outside of my employment. Thank you. The next question is, how would you decide if an individual grievance should take precedence over band business decisions that affect all 4,400 band members? I don't believe there is an individual grievance that should take place over a, a business decision affecting everybody. Uh, a business decision... Um, I guess I'm a little confused by this question. Um, I, I, I heard what Vanessa said. That was good. Um, but are we talking like 
like if like if certain like violent crimes are committed and then laws are passed or what, what kind of I'm, I am a little confused about this question individual grievance taking precedent over a bad business decision um I don't think an individual takes precedence over the bad business decisions that's my thought that's how I'm perceiving this question um, yeah um, yeah I'm confused by that question a little bit so we'll give that to Buddha okay thank you let me reset. Come on, start. There. Okay. Well, when I look at it as an individual grievance, uh, taking precedence over a banned business uh, decision, I think when, when individuals or individual band members uh, have any issues um, in that would like them to be brought to the uh, tribal council. Uh, I look at it as that that that's their right. That's that's why we're put in these positions is to 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 listen to our band members, to give them the time of day, and to listen to what they have to what their issues are. But does that mean that we have to stop the agenda and address that? Or do we allow time for that in the, in the agenda? And I think we, we can allow time for that in the agenda and to listen to their concerns and their aspects. But then, then also, you know, we should have the opportunity to have time to discuss that and do any type of research or, or gather any information that we can. And... Uh, and then the banned business can, can carry on. When we look at banned business and talk about banned business, we're, we're talking about that as far as programs um, and also in our enterprises. And the business has to continue. <coughs> Decisions or, or uh, the approvals have still have to be made, and, and I don't think uh, we should kind of put those on, back, on the back burner. We should move ahead with those, and then we can address the issues from the individual band members. Um, but to, to allow them to, to have that time and to sit there and listen rather than get up and walk away. We, that's why we're there. Uh, that's why we were elected, and uh, we should take the time to, like I said, to, to listen to the individual and, and, and what their concern is because their concern might be uh, that of many. It's just they're the only ones that are willing to, to say anything about it, and, and it might be something that uh, uh, the RBC is unaware of that's going on. Uh, so I think, it, yeah, it, you know, it is important to, to hear that. Thank you. The next question is, what is your plan for dealing with band enrollment in the short and long term? Well, in the short term, I believe uh, 
we should stay at our blood quantum where we are now. Um, at this point, I don't, I don't think lowering the blood quantum would would benefit. But in the long run, there will be a time when we will have to vote on the uh, the issue. This is a very tricky issue. There are, uh, you know, it's an MCT issue. There, we'd have to vote. There's, uh, it was said Leech Lake is, has lots of pull. They have lots of band members. White Earth has lots of band members, and it would have to be a vote. This is not an individual's uh, decision. That's how I would deal with that. Thank you. Stop you, silly thing. Okay. I think when we, we look at band enrollment, we have to look at it as there is no short term, uh, I guess, uh, plan. Uh, for enrollment. I mean, we took years to get here to the point of where we're at, and then we look at uh, what's going on in long term. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard the ideas of do we uh, open enrollment to uh, descendancy? Do we look at uh, all other federally recognized uh, blood? I think we have to look at the core of the problems first and to see where we stand. And what I mean by that is looking at our enrollment process uh, that we have. An um, example that, that I'll, I'll tell you about is that uh, there's a family that proved that the person that they're saying in, in that they're counting blood from is not the right person. That there was two, two Joes in the family and they're counting the wrong Joe. Uh, and, and if we look back on, on the years of, of the uh, relocation era and the roles that they're going off of on the census and, and the tribal roles of the person's here one year but he's gone for the next census but then they're back again so in that process they have counted the wrong person so they they make their plea to the tribal enrol, enrol, enrollment up at MCT and they sit there and say well you know what the problem is with the bureau and, and they're saying that this is who they're counting. So who initiates that to be corrected? Is it the individual band member? Is it the band? Or is it the tribe to argue with the Bureau that you got it wrong? We also have to look at several other issues of, uh, of mistakes that are in the, in the books. An example is, is me. I look at it, my, my father's... Uh, He's half, my mother's three quarters, uh, but they got me just under a half. Now that, does, that math doesn't add up because it should be just over a half. So I think we have to go back and look at all the issues that we have with the enrollment issues and then go from there. And for the long term, maybe it's somebody, something that we hire somebody here to work at for us. I don't, I don't think it, it's an MCT issue because we are the MCT, part of it. So it's not wholly an MCT issue, it's a Fond du Lac issue. 
And I think the better prepared we are as a, as a band to bring forward to the MCT, because their part is to change the uh, Constitution part as far as the requirements for enrollment. So that's, that's my stand. All right. Thank you. Come on, little machine. And then this is the um, last series of questions before, we'll, or last question for the two before we'll take a break. What dollar amount would you propose for the per capita payment? What programs would need to be cut or could be expanded to achieve that level? And at what time frame could this be accomplished? Uh, well, I'm not in favor of cutting any program. A certain um, demographic, and we need those. Um, but I am, I would like to see the per cap raised. We need to acquire businesses, create businesses, um, you know, follow Malax's lead. You know, we can, we can get hotels, banks, we can do all that. We can make businesses on the reservation. And 400 a month is, uh, it was said, is it could be a detriment to some. It's, it's, monthly income for some, but you know, 400 is, is not a lot when you know, Malax is getting, you know, 1000 a month. They're doing something right. And we've been here since see, 1854 to 2016, we're making 400. So at this rate, what, 22nd century, we'll be making 800 a month. So we need to, uh, we need to start building our economic base now. We need to build our businesses, expand, you know, stronger marketing at the casino, uh, you know, even up on Highway 2, I've heard we could have a, a uh, like a truck stop, a satellite casino up there, that's lots of traffic, lots of money going through our reservation, we're not collecting, and um, there's lots of economic uh, opportunities out there that we should pursue, and we are not. Thank you. Ask what dollar amount would you propose for per capita? Well, a million dollars per person. That would be pretty nice, but let's, I mean, let's get realistic. When we look at the per capita, we have to realize a, where did this come from and how did it start? Where it was derived from is, is based off of our uh, interest, off of our investments. So everything that we brought in from our enterprises went into uh, the general fund and then, we, then, then went into our investments. And off of those investments is where we came up with our uh, our per capita payment. And during that time, we had never had to, to file a plan with the Bureau on, on distribution of uh, casino profits. But that changed, and then I believe we had used uh, uh, some of the Enbridge money to pay part of the per cap. And, that, and just recently, uh, it's my understanding that we've had to uh, submit a plan to the Bureau on our, our profit distribution from our casinos. I think when we look at what programs should we be cut, uh, I, don't, I don't think we can cut any. 
because we're looking at 17 to 18 million dollars that we're going to have to cut. So where do we cut? I, th I think that that would be impossible to cut that amount. So we're going to have to look at how do we get back to replenish our reserves in our stocks and in our investments and to start drawing money back off of our investments. I think that's where we have to start and where we have to look at. We have to look at our our, uh, our enterprises and to start making them successful uh, in order to uh, replenish the reserves. Uh, once we can get to that level, we should also look at diversification of our uh, portfolio, of looking at where do we go next? Do we just stay where we're at, uh, live under the bubble that we are, or uh, do we look at getting into uh, real estate? Do we look at getting into uh, the resort field uh, and uh, or uh, convenience stores, car washes? Uh, where, where do we go from here? And I think that it, it would be nice to say that we're going to get into all of these, but we have to have uh, money there to invest. It, it, and I think we have to look at our current uh, enterprises and to make sure that we're getting the maximum return on investment. Thank you, gentlemen. So that's the end of our first little section here. We'll take a 10-minute break, and then we'll start up again with the questions that were submitted from, from you people. If you have any more, get them back to the gentleman there, and we'll get them worked into what we have here. Thank you. And I'm going to set this timer for 10 minutes if I can make it work. And that'll be our 10-minute break. Okay, we're going to start up again. We're going to go now to the questions that... Um, yep, that the candidates have not seen that were put in by the constituents, and we will change formats, so we will have one candidate answer and the other candidate, and then the second candidate gets to go first, and just like we did at the end of the other one. So, the first question we have are, why do treaties matter? There is a question, and... Well, I think when we, we look at uh, of why do treaties matter, um, I, think, I think for us as band members and uh, Anishinaabe that um, they're important. <laughs> I just hope I, on the other side that uh, uh, those that, that they were made with, that, that they also matter to them. Um, but we've seen over the years that uh, of the court... Uh, Rulings and, and the court fights that we've had with the uh, the governments is, uh, that um, they don't think they matter. I think it's important, and, and I've been fortunate enough to, uh, ever since I've been a little boy, that I have been practicing our treaty rights of hunting, fishing, and gathering. I've had the opportunity of, of uh, going with my uncles, uh, my cousins, uh, my friends, um, 
up into the 1854 and also the, the 1837 treaty areas. Um, I've been fortunate enough to take my son up there uh, to exercise his treaty rights. Um, and I think it's very important that uh, we pass those on of, of how do we uh, go out and harvest, uh, the times we harvest. When I look back when I was 12 or 13, it wouldn't be anything to go out to different areas of the reservation and you see these hunting parties. Anywhere from 10 to 20 people. Now you go to some of these same places and you're lucky to see a group of six. And a majority of the time you're not going to see the 12 to 13 year olds participating. Um, which is unfortunate because they're going to be the ones that are going to carry on some of our, our treaty rights that we do have some, and, and to know some of our gathering rights um, and, and how to go out and gather. How do we go out and harvest uh, uh, wild rice, uh, rabbits, uh, certain medicines, certain plants? Uh, and we need to get back to uh, having those implemented in, in, in the things that we do day-to-day -day here at Fond du Lac. And we can't forget those and, and understand why those are important. Uh, so uh, as far as the survival of Fond du Lac, I think treaties are very uh, important in, in, in that we exercise our treaty rights. Thank you. I'll give this to you so you can see it. <coughs> well, just treat. a second, oh, just a second. Let's get this stupid thing put together. <coughs> okay. Why do treaties matter? Well, today they're called treaty rights. But before they were our way of life, our identity, what kept us alive, kept us sustained. These are our inherent rights. And they are in danger, the mining, the sulfide, they want to kill our lakes, they want to limit our moose hunt, they want to limit our fish intake. We made, uh, we're met with hostile, uh, hostile, uh, met by hostile people on the landings, and, and it's, and it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. Um, these are our, our identity. These are who we are. That's absolutely the absolute reason why these treaties matter. They are our identity. Ricing, moose hunting, fishing, gathering plants. That's who we are. And they are probably the most important aspects of how we um, our way of life. And if these are impeded on and taken away, they'll only add to the um, only add to our um, eventual nullification. So we need to protect those fiercely. We need young people to stand up 
take more active roles in protecting our our rights. We need not even, not even the young, the old. We need everybody. We need to come together. We need to unify. There's too much, too many uh, barriers. And again, these are our identity and our way of life and what kept us alive for centuries and centuries. That is why they are important. Thank you. The next question is, if elected, how would you improve things at the Brookston Center? cultural activities down there. Again, it comes back to uh, getting the young and the old uh, active. Just a second. This thing is being bizarre again. Okay. Yeah, we need more culture. We need more activities, family activities. There's not enough family activities. Lots of uh, Brookston residents say they, they don't feel welcome at the Brookston Center. I'm sorry to say that. But... Uh, It's a good center. It have the, lots of kids utilize it, but there are there are programs that could be brought in, more structured activities, more uh, going out into the community, more cultural, more uh, helping the, the children uh, find their identities. Not even the children, the uh, the families too. A lot of parents are disconnected. They need to be brought back into the circle. We need to um, support each other. Again, it comes back to community support, community action, community activism, um, good leadership, leadership willing to work with uh, everyone in the community, not push certain people out, not let personal uh, feelings and grievances take precedent over uh, what needs to be done. So I feel more programs, strong leadership, and a willing district rep to um, point the center in a good direction. Thank you. Thank you. Let me get this reset, and here's the question. look at uh, how do we improve things at the Brookston Center, I think it's how do we enhance things at the Brookston Center. When, when we look at programmings uh, or programs that we do run there, um, I think we have to look at uh, how do we best suit the community. And what I mean by that is it, it's nice that we have the programs that we do have for the youth, for the elders, but how do we 
improve? How do we ex uh, expand on those? And I, and I think certain things that we need to look at um, holistically of, of what is happening on the reservation as a whole. We look at uh, different issues that we're having with the drug problems and uh, the uh, social issues. There are several different things that we can bring to the Brookston Center. Um, how do we uh, address issues with maybe family mentoring, of uh, assisting the families out that that uh, that are having issues, and, and to see if we can get families that are are willing to volunteer their their time and uh, effort into mentoring other young families that may be going through some of the same problems that they did in their. Uh, early times as, as a family. We look at different uh, programs that we can bring from uh, from the clinic. Does it, everything need to be done at the clinic or can they be brought out to the to the centers, whether it's for uh, an elder advocate uh, or, uh, or uh, preventing, uh, prevention intervention, uh, bringing some of those uh, programmings uh, to the community centers and one of the things back when I worked on, on I was elected as a, a council member before is that these community centers uh, are should be open to to all community members and I don't just mean Brookston community I mean all final Lac community members because once we start separating out is where we start getting the divisiveness between the districts, the Sawyer district against Brookston district, Brookston against Sawyer, or Brookston against Cloquet, and that that I think that bleeds into the uh, into back into the community member the communities of uh, splitting them apart rather than trying to unify them. So I think when when we do that, of opening. Up all of our programming to um, all members of Fond du Lac. Okay. Uh, Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, next question. Oh, let's get this set so we're not. Next question. No morale down at the casino. What are you going to do about that? Says no more morale. No morale down at the casino. What are you going to do about that? Um, so, and, and and I've heard that too. Is uh, we look at things uh, as far as employees morale at at the casino, um, and and why is it down? Well. I mean, it could be several different issues. I mean, we look at the, the uh, and it's been talked about before, about the compensation package that we do have down there, um, which is a great compensation package. Uh, but I look at it, too, as I think it can be better. And why I say that is because of this understanding of a point system that they have there. Uh, and that there is no sick leave allowed there. 
I think we can look at a, a, at a few different things. Um, and uh, of one is, is looking at uh, the sick leave issues of, of why should uh, someone be penalized for, for being sick and, and not able to come in. It, and I understand the issues, too, about, well, it's going to be a, a abuse of sick time. Well, I mean, we have sick time every other place, and there's no abuse there. Uh, I'm sure there is in some cases, but for the most part, there isn't. And then we look at uh, uh, what our turnover rate is in, in where this point system comes into play is, are we spending more on, on hiring and training uh, people rather than, than looking at different issues of maybe bringing back sick leave, uh, uh, maybe uh, looking at uh, instead of uh, shared tips that we go back to individual tips. So would the employee be willing to work, work a little bit harder for that tip? Uh, could we look at things of going to, uh, instead of bi-weekly paydays, a weekly paydays? Of, uh, because some of those positions are, are at minimum wage. Some of those folks are, are, are living paycheck to paycheck, and, and would that paycheck from week to week uh, be a lot easier on them? Would it make a better employee or a happier employer, employee? So I think listening to some of the to the some of the employees down there on on why the morale is down, uh, but I also also believe too that um, on some of these management positions of uh, I see no reason why we shouldn't have band members in some of those positions. Thank you. And let me get the timer started. I believe employee morale starts at the top of the chain and goes down. Um, if you have, uh, I've heard Representative uh, Dupi say numerous times there's not much um, accountability for managers. And, and I think if that, that was in place, the employee morale would go up significantly. Uh, the sick the sick time is a major issue with them. The points is a major issue with them. The uh, some of the uh, some of the uh, car dealers are not uh, happy with the uh, lack of marketing and bringing in uh, big players or trying to keep players there. Um, Yeah, morale starts at the top and works its way down. You need you need um, managers out on the floor talking with the employees. We need um, you know we need a, a strong marketing campaign to get players down there. That's what we need. And the morale morale is is low. It comes from the management. That's why all that's where that issue comes from. I've heard that numerous times, and we need manager accountability. That would increase employee morale. Thank you, gentlemen.
Let's put that in the used. Okay, the next question is, what is the most successful thing you've ever did? Um, the most successful thing I've ever did. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to pick one out, but something I'm very proud of is being elected to the JON committee, getting the uh, confidence of the thousand plus uh, voting parents down there from our over 500 children. Um, it's a big responsibility. That program is a heavily federally regulated program, and it's a big responsibility. It's an important responsibility. The education of our children is the most important thing. And we need culture in the schools. And if I can get this language grant to the Cloquet School to, 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 um, to let all, all children, Native and non-Native, be exposed to our language, that would be a very big accomplishment on my part. Thank you. Here's the question. I'm going to wait until I get Okay. What is the most successful thing that you ever did? Well, I, I think two of them are sitting right here. Is, is my son, all three of them. My son, my wife, and my daughter-in-law, um, who's, who's due to the family. Um, those are the most successful, most important things in my life um, it, it, it is my family. When I start looking at back over my life, my career, um, I, I start to, to think about it that I've, yes, I've, I've, I've done quite a bit um, in my life. Um, I've, you know, as far as... Uh, work-wise and uh, things like that. Uh, I've started a, a police department from the ground up as a, as a chief of police. I'm a deputy sheriff. Uh, I, I've been a Brookston district representative. Uh, I've uh, gotten into foster care. Um, but I look back at, at, at all the most successful things and, and it's, it is my family um, that uh, to be part of them, to uh, be able to interact with them, um, and, and not just from once a year or from time to time. Um, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that we get to do it um, sometimes weekly, uh, sometimes several times a, a week that we get together um, as a family. Um, and, and I also look at it as uh, hopefully being a positive role model in the community. I work hard. I look at, uh, I care for my family. Uh, I care for other 
family members, other family members, other uh, community members, whether they're band members or not. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, job-wise, I'm entrusted with with some very important things. I mean, um, and, and, and that's looking at the rights of of individuals, whether it's, whether it's Fond du Lac or St. Louis County, uh, and those are some 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 big issues to uh, to be responsible for uh, is is an individual's rights. Um, so that's some of the things. Thank you. The next question is, what will you do as a leader to improve the life of our youth? That time I forgot it. To improve the lives of our youth, and I, and I touched on it before, and I think once we look at our youth, we can't get get uh, tunnel vision in, in, in looking at the youth as as what kind of programming should we bring to the uh, community centers? Is it, uh, uh, you know, individual uh, programming of games and basketball and trips of this nature? I think we have to, to, to look at the broad aspect of it as improving the lives of our youth. And we got to remember the youth that we have that are not back in their homes, that are not with their families. And those are the youth that are, that are in foster care. And it, in, I think it, in, we talk about improving life, uh, their lives. One improvement was to, get, to reunify them with their family, their parents, their mother, their father, um, and to make that uh, family one, one unit again. So when we talk about improving the lives, I think that's something that we have to think about every day and on every issue, whether it's treaty rights, whether it's uh, other things, such as uh, decisions on our enterprises, because these enterprises are going to be for them. And I look at the use that we have in the room. Um, it is for them. We have to set up things for them to make things easier for them and for them to carry on. And, and, and again, when you think about it, that is a, a huge responsibility that we have to look at things that we decide on now for the seventh generation of how is that going to affect them. Some of these decisions that we make are, are, are not going to be black and white. They're not going to be a yes or a no. We have to take the information and in, in, in looking at the totality of the circumstances of how is that going to affect seven generations from now and to make sure that everything is in place or as much as we can think about is in place for that. 30 seconds. And uh, so I think we, when we look at improving the lives of, of uh, for our youth, uh, there's just a vast issues that we have to think about for them. Thank you. 
Uh, improving the lives of our youth starts with making sure they have healthy parents at home. Um, there's uh, lots of program we, programming we can do. Uh, we, have to, uh, we have to build the future for them. And they have to take it over. But what, what I feel would best improve the lives of our youth is healthy family units, healthy parents, um, taking care of their children, having the culpability to uh, provide a good life for them, stable jobs. And it comes down to empowering our people and building them up, giving them the dignity of a job, the dignity of a house, making sure they can continue on their on the good path. Because the lives of our youth is directly affected by the lives of the parents and the morals and the values or the lack of. And so I feel strong culture, strong education, um, again, community-wide support, prevention intervention, structured activity that will definitely improve the lives of our youth. And we have to continue building up ourselves to give to them so they can bring in the future. Again, I believe healthy parents, healthy family units is what is going to improve the lives of our youth. Thank you. Then we have one last question here from the audience that we'll do, and then we'll allow our candidates to sum up. And this question is, minimum wage on FDL for all employees, including tipped employees. Minimum wage or livable wage. Um, I think there's a big difference between that. The minimum wage, I believe, is $10 an hour on Fond du Lac. Um, I don't think that's a very uh, livable wage myself. Uh, even $15 is, is stretching. You're stretched. Um, but in order to w raise these wages, again, we need to come up with sound economic practices, businesses, Implementation. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of uh, places of raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars, and then you got to get rid of half of your employees and bring in robots to do the rest. So we need to find a way to to. Uh, what am I looking for here? Uh, we need to find a way to raise our economic status and that will raise our wages and that in turn will improve the lives of all of our band members. Uh, I, I don't believe $10 an hour is a good wage but it's uh, that's what's set forth, that's what they decided and we will have to work on, you know, it, it's a challenge making money. I think a, a, a good minimum wage on Fond du Lac would be $12 to $13 an hour. Thank you. 
And that's a question for you, sir. And you ready? Ready. Okay, there we go. Well, I, I think once we look at the minimum wage on, on Fond du Lac and um, look at all employees in, in the tip positions, um, I touched on it before. It, if you look at, can't remember if it's Expedia or, or, or if it's it's one of those uh, where you can make the uh, hotel reservations, but then you look at the feedback. If anybody goes out there and look at Black Bear Casino and look at the comments that are made, and you look at it, and, and, and I've had an opportunity to read some of them, and I look back at, at because I was here when we built the new Black Bear. And that wasn't the vision that we had for Black Bear. The vision that we had for Black Bear is that we get back on top of Indian gaming in Minnesota, where we once were. And a lot of that is uh, we look at um, the services that we provide. We go back to the other question about morale. If morale is down, what do you think... Uh, our experience is going to be for our customers. It's probably going to be pretty low too. So we look at improving morale and making people happy that they're working there. Um, and I think part of that is looking at these tip positions and that um, instead of uh, a shared tip, it's individual tip positions where you are getting your own tips. Because if you have two employees where one's working their butt off, and getting all the tips where somebody else has to say, you know what, I don't even have to work that hard and I still get the tips. So where's the incentive for that person to deliver great service to our uh, clients? It's not there. But I think if you look at a way, hey, I could earn a lot more if I provide better service and I get bigger tips and then I'm bringing home a lot more. But then also not... Uh, having that play into what their their minimum wage or base salary is too. I think they should still get that minimum base salary of minimum wage in addition to their tips. And I think that would improve morale. It, it would improve uh, our uh, service that we provide our customers. Um, but we look at the minimum wage on Fond du Lac, I mean, we, we we have to also look at fiduciary responsibilities of, of, of why we're there. I mean, we can say $15 an hour, but can we sustain that? Um, or is it is it feasible? Or we do $15 an hour, and now we're going to be work, our, our businesses are going to be working in a deficit. So all of that has to come into play. All right. Thank you. Well, we were planned to be done at 3 o'clock. And we're pretty close to that. So we will um, have um, a short statement from each candidate. We'll give them three minutes to sum up um, their feelings and what they want, the ideas they want you to leave with. So well, let me get this. Well, first off, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for being here. The, the first two uh, candidates for District 1, I'd like to thank them for being here, too, for taking their time out of the day to be here. Um, 
Now it's to, you know, well, why am I best qualified for it? Well, I think I have the background and the experience for the position. Uh, I've been in law enforcement since 1996. I worked for the St. Louis County Sheriff's Department for the total of 11 years. I've started our Fond du Lac Police Department from the ground up, implementing the policies and procedures, meeting post requirements, uh, both for the state and federal requirements. I've held a position before from 2004 to 2008, and I think I was successful in that position. There's certain things that I've done in that position that no other Fond du Lacer has done. I've signed on the executive board for NCAI um, as a uh, alternate Midwest area vice president, the first in Fond du Lac history to, to do that. I've sat on task forces looking at our drug problems at not only here at Fond du Lac but throughout Indian country uh, with NCAI and the White House. Uh, I've said in, in both of those positions, I was elected by my peers in the Midwest area. That means other tribal leaders in the Midwest area had wanted to be into those positions um, or, or to be the regional representative. And I take that with great honor because that's uh, a lot of great leaders have come from the Midwest area. So I look at my experience that I've had over my lifetime. Uh, as far as being uh, prepared for this position. Um, I know how to network with other tribes, other people. Um, I know how to uh, communicate with um, other congressional people, whether it's the state congressional people or the federal congressional people from the state of Minnesota. I've testified in front of the House Appropriations Committee on certain issues that affected Fond du Lac. I've worked with our attorneys out there to formulate that testimony on some of the issues that we have here that are important to what's going on in Fond du Lac. Um, I've worked on several different uh, subcommittees, health and uh, human services, education, um, worked with some of the school districts, been a uh, avid uh, exerciser of our treaty rights. So I've been into the 1837-1854 city territories. I understand what it means to harvest the moose uh, and to go out and net and spear walleye. I understand the importance of those issues to um, to us as Fond du Lac. I'm a men's traditional dancer. I'm an eagle staff carrier. I'm also an eagle whistle carrier, um, in which uh, some of those gifts were given to me by uh, traditional uh, drums. Thank you. Thank you. Let me skip this set for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, first, I would like to say miigwech to everyone who uh, voted for me in the primary and getting me through to the general. This was a very uh, big honor. Um, again, my name is Philip Jeffrey Savage. My parents are Jeff Savage, and my mother is Sandy Savage. Um, my family, my wife Alyssa of 21 years here, my daughter Eliza, my son Dylan's hiding around here somewhere. Um, I have a business degree from FBLTCC, um, and I will be furthering my education at some point. I believe that is a major, a major thing that we need to do. Um, at my time in, in college, I, I got a sidekick here for a minute. <laughs> During college, I was elected as secretary treasurer of the Anishinaabe Student Congress. 
2012, I completed the Blanded Community Leadership Program. I'm currently the chairman of the JOM Committee in Cloquet. I sit on the LIEC board. Um, my family and I are extremely committed to FDL. We engage, support any community activity that is offered, promote the well-being of our community. Um, you know, over the years, I observe, I've observed you know the, the success our past uh, representatives have done in our community. I want to thank them for that, and I feel I can I can build on that. Uh, we have a strong base in Brookston. We have a strong community, strong families. Uh, yes, there are problems, but there are very many positive things in Brookston. Very helpful people, lots of strong community leaders. Um, I also believe we need to have a more expansive. Brookston is a very expansive uh, district. We can develop that. And my plan to overcome these is to work with you. I will bring Brookston's voice to be. I will bring Brookston's voice back to be heard by the RBC, by the band. And we can and will continue to keep Brookston a strong community, a strong district. Um, the only promise I can make is that I will stay that same individual I am now. I will represent you, advocate for you. I will stand up for you and your concerns. That's what I'm here for. And uh, I'd like to say miigwech. And um, thank you, everybody, for coming. Thank you for your time. And again, thank you. Thank you, Buddha, too. I'd like to thank all our candidates that were here for the earlier session and for this session. And tomorrow we will be meeting at noon with the uh, chair candidates. So you're all welcome to come back then. We didn't have time to go through all of them. Well, then, if you would like to ask the individuals, feel free to do so. I think that's that's part of what I they, thought that they, was in place they, already. They do. Yeah. They do. Um, yeah. I, I I know before when I was uh, on council, I went over and drug testing got backgrounded for dealing with the youth and. Um, Gaming license. Was that mm -hmm. when you won the election or when you went for candidacy? No, when I won. Before you, before, uh, and I know, when they were doing random tests, when I used to do randoms, I know that they were tested at that time. I don't know if they're still doing randoms. How do you feel about yeah. being required? Yeah, that's absolutely, that should be an absolute policy. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah. Good seeing you again. Thanks, Joe. Sleep. Kick my sleep. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's not as easy as it looks. <laughs>